So today uh, we have Lawrence Liang, and he's helping organize Hack McGill. And he also just finished his first year of mechanical engineering, also at McGill. And I'm very happy to have you on today. Thank you so much for joining. Well, thanks, Samir, for the invitation. Really excited to be here today. Right. So uh, to get this started, uh, today we're going to talk about coding, programming, CS, all this stuff in that category. And um, so what is your experience and background in that field? So I first discovered coding when I was back in in secondary school. So it was back in grade eight when um, actually I was having a conversation with a friend in the cafeteria and he was like, well, hey, by the way, like I coded this solar system. I'm like, you coded a solar system like in high school. He's like, yeah. So I discovered he used Python to write his computer program. So that really got me into it. So it was really just that one conversation that got me into, I guess, exploring um, what coding was like. Um, in the last few years, I was involved primarily in science fair projects uh, and helping organize hackathons back in high school, Sejep, and now currently with Hack McGill. Uh, and I've also, I've, try, I've been trying to do a bit of contract work on the side of a couple of startups here and there. So that's kind of the background of my experience of coding. What does it mean exactly to code a solar system? Honestly, I have no idea <laughs> what he was referring to, but it was like, but as a 14-year-old, knowing that one of your friends coded a solar system somehow was like really impressive <laughs> at the time. So I never got to code a solar system using code, but it was enough to get me started. <laughs> All right. And also, I, I honestly, like I've heard it like been used a lot, like hackathons, like I've heard the term, but I think me and a lot of other people don't know 100% what it entails. So what, what is that all about? So a hackathon is, I guess it's uh, an abbreviation for a hacking marathon. So usually it's a 24-hour event where um, people of you know, all backgrounds and of all ages and origins kind of converge onto a location and try to um, use coding and other technologies to develop interesting solutions to a problem all within 24 hours. Um, so usually, I guess, for example, the first hackathon that I went to, which was almost accidental, um, it was a couple of years ago during the summer. Um, we were roughly, I think we were about several people around a table just trying to solve a problem and a bit of um, Red Bull, well, not for me, the other <laughs> some Red Bull, <laughs> some snacks. We'd code into the night. Um, next morning, we'd come back, write some code and present our solution um, 24 hours after the start of the event. So is there like one thing that everyone is competing against each other to solve? Um, so it really depends from one hackathon to the next. Um, in most cases, hackathons tend to be open themed. So um, in terms of, I guess, judging which hackathon projects are ranked higher, usually there's a set of evaluation criteria, which usually revolves around things like the degree of innovation, how relevant it is, how impactful it is. Um, Occasionally, you have hackathons that are theme-specific um, that require you to use a certain, you can say, a certain company's um, programming tools or a certain technology. So it really depends. Usually, it all depends on the, I guess, evaluation criteria for from one hackathon to the next. All right. Um, <clears throat> okay. 
So one thing that I think we should clear up also is the difference between the terms uh, coding, programming, computer science, and software engineering. Because I think for a lot of people, it's kind of all one mishmash. <laughs> well, actually, to be honest, um, <laughs> I had to look up myself recently. What was the difference between coding and programming? Because it's okay. just so... <laughs> It's like, it's just so similar. Um, coding is, to my understanding, coding is the act of writing instructions that a computer understands. So, I mean, right now we're speaking to each other in English, but if you wanted to write something that a computer can actually, you know, comprehend and execute, you need to learn a, a programming language. So that act of writing instructions is what we call um, coding. Um, programming is the act of writing computer programs, which includes not only coding, but also other things like looking into maintaining the code into deployment and writing uh, documentation, which is, you can say, instructions on how to run the code. Um, I think you also mentioned what asked, well, what's the difference between computer science and software engineering? Yeah, yeah these two are, <laughs> are pretty, <laughs> it's pretty hard to like differentiate the two. Um, Computer science is really the study of how computers work. So usually a, somebody studying computer science would focus on theoretical aspects, like how to make, I guess, computer programs run faster, how to make computers, you know, how to make certain computer programs um, use less memory, while software engineering deals with more of the study of how to build computer programs. So studying like which, I guess, which um, structures we use to, I guess, make our, um, to, to, which structures should we use to make our computer programs handle a certain amount of users? How can we make these computer programs more reliable? How can we deal with unforeseen events when a user does something really weird? So computer science is studying, software engineering is more building and deploying. All right. Because I, I think when a lot of people hear like computer science or software engineering, they picture like the movies, you know, like a hacker, like sitting with a coffee, like writing a bunch of lines to try to dog in to something. But, but I, I, I guess that's not really uh, realistic. <laughs> what would you say is a more realistic portrait of that? Um, honestly, I think some movies capture it quite well. <laughs> like, I'm not <laughs> sure if you were thinking of any movies in particular. I'm not. I've probably seen it, like, a good, like, five times, at least, in different movies. So I'm not really sure. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Like, I'm thinking of... Um, I think like there's, for example, the the social network where you have... Yeah, young, I saw that, yeah. <laughs> like there's, I think there's this one scene where you have people like just taking shots and writing code at the same time. Um, that probably wouldn't happen in, I guess, at least in the professional setting, maybe at parties. Um, <laughs> but I guess, the, but what the social network portrays really well is like the tools you use. So um, th there's a nice mix between seeing the actual tools that were being used, like the command prompts, the terminals, um, and the certain attitude towards coding, you know, like not somebody typing at 2000 words per minute, but like actually taking the time to reflect and to understand. So um, the, social, the social network definitely portrays some aspects of, I, at least from what I've seen coding in a reasonable way. Um, how it's like to actually code, um, I guess it depends really from one person to the other. Like in my experience, about maybe 20% of my time is actually creating code. <laughs> I'd say 70% of it is trying to figure out what went wrong because most <laughs> of your time is understanding why there's 100 error messages coming up. And the remaining 10%, which I guess could increase in some cases, really is really 
um, getting to speak to either, you know, the team or the client your team is working with to try to really um, ensure that what you're developing is actually relevant and not something that's, you know, kind of irrelevant and <laughs> can be discarded. Yeah, that sounds good. Oh, <clears throat> so what initially drew you to coding? Um, I think there were definitely a few factors. Um, definitely when I, my friend mentioned that he coded a solar system, I'm like, oh, I got to try this myself as well. Um, but when you first start coding, you realize that basically like for free, you're able to create these entire new worlds, like these things that couldn't exist in the real world but exist, you know, somewhere in cyberspace and run perfectly every single time. Like, I mean, if I can ask you a question, like just off the top of, my, top of your mind, is it something that you'd, you'd like to create? Uh, I mean, it might sound a bit boring, but like it'd be fun to be able to code my own website. So, yeah, it's not, not as cool as the stuff you're thinking of. But... Gotcha. Because I mean, like, if you were to create, I guess, a website in real life, equivalent to maybe be, maybe, I guess, maybe a poster or a pamphlet, um, which is fun, but you have to like print it every single time. So it's just a bit of a hassle. But if you were to code a website, you write your code once and basically can run it anytime. And, and once you deploy your website, thousands, if not millions of people can have access to, you know, to what you built. So it's really just that feeling of creating something at, at no cost and being able to potentially share it across the world i mean i haven't i'm not there yet i hope, I hope i'll be there one day but definitely the aspect of creating something for free um and be able to really you know make an impact and share it across you know a large spectrum of people but is it actually free though like if someone wants to write code do you need like softwares that you have to pay for or you could just open up some like i have no clue how, how that works so there's, I guess there's two parts um, to that answer. Like in terms of just writing computer programs, thankfully um, there's a lot of open source tools that you can use. So um, writing computer programs can be done basically, you know, entirely for free using freeware or free open source software. What becomes a bit challenging is when you want to actually deploy these tools, I guess, for open use. Um, in the case of websites, you would probably want to deploy your website onto what is called a server. So a server basically is a, you can see it as some, a computer where that everybody can access on the internet. So if you want to deploy your, your code to, um, to the server, you might have to pay what we call server fees. So like the cost of running the server, the cost mm -hmm. of setting up security. Um, so things can get a bit pricey depending on how big your website or your computer software is. But just the fact, just the act of learning coding itself and okay. deploying, I guess, you know, lightweight websites can be done pretty much for free or at very, um, very low cost. Right. And um, do you think that everyone should learn how to code or is it better if only certain groups of people do? Um, that's a really good question. Like, in my opinion, everybody should have the chance to learn to code. Um, the way I see it is really coding is, I guess, just another form um, or another way that allows you to express yourself. Just like, I guess, learning how to paint is a way to express yourself to art. Learning how to, say, play an instrument is a way to express your feelings to, you know, to an instrument. Learning how to code, I think, really is um, a way to transform ideas into reality. 
And the really neat thing um, about coding is that I think anybody can code. You don't need to be from a certain, you don't need to score a certain grade on a test or you don't need to follow a certain education to code. There's tons of really awesome tools online that allows anybody, I guess, regardless of background, to spend a few weeks and write some pretty cool computer programs in a really short amount of time. So you think like even someone who's like dead average intelligence, like a hundred IQ could learn how to code? Um, absolutely. And I mean, the way I see code is code is designed as a language that computers can understand. But at the same time, the, pe- the people who created computer programs also designed the languages in a way that people can mm-hmm. understand. Um, so you have to understand, well, <laughs> you have to understand <laughs> that coding languages were, made for people to i guess to comprehend how they work and how to you know how to create new lines and how to create new structures and code so just because code was made both for humans and for computers means that it's designed so anybody can learn to code so you don't need to be a you don't need to have a certain iq level or a certain sat score or a certain r score i think anybody can learn to code just by, by its own nature and if you do want to learn, what would you say is the best way? Like, do you think that school is the best route, like doing CS or getting a, even a minor in CS? Or would you rather, you know, go to like Code Academy or something like that? I think it really depends on where you want to, where you want to structure your career. Like if you want to do coding on the side, um, I think definitely starting with resources, like you mentioned, like Code Academy or other uh, free resources online could be a really good place to start. Um, if you're thinking of, I guess, going into industry, like working full-time as a professional uh, software developer, having a minor in computer science, or even majoring in computer science could be a good option. If you're thinking of doing um, academic research, for instance, developing some, becoming a deep learning specialist or becoming a uh, cybersecurity specialist, uh, definitely going the academic route. So, doing a major in computer science and potentially, you know, a graduate studies could mm-hmm. also be interesting to look into. All right. So basically for the average person, it might be better to not do it in school. So I guess it really depends on whether you want to take coding as a hobby or take coding okay. as a career. Um, and I think another really interesting statistic to note is that um I think I have it somewhere here. So Stack Overflow, which is a software developer community, did a survey uh, a few well, a few years ago, and it turns out that roughly 20% of professional software developers claim to not have a college degree. So it's definitely okay. possible. To, <laughs> I mean, I don't know how true the statistic is, but um, at least a certain amount of professional developers don't have a college degree. But if you're really thinking of, Working, I guess, in a larger tech company, perhaps Google or Microsoft, were doing um, research in computer science. It might be a good idea to invest in a um, into a certain into a CS degree or something of comparable uh, or a similar experience. All right, uh, and also, um, what about like for people that have no experience? And they want to learn, would you say a hackathon is a good way? I think hackathons are absolutely a super cool way just to get started. So um, 
I know for some people, there is a bit of a fear of like not yeah. understanding or a fear of, you know, <laughs> being left out. Um, the cool thing for hackathons is first off, most of them are, very, are free or relatively cheap to, to enter. Um, and also a lot of people going to hackathons are first timers as well. And hackathons are based on the idea that it allows people from all backgrounds and, you know, all um, skill sets to come together and to build something. So it's, it's a learning environment more than anything else. So hackathons are definitely a super cool way of getting started. Or even if you know absolutely nothing. <laughs> oh yeah, like my first hackathon, I I went with a friend. We knew very little. We knew how to code, but I've I have friends. I've had friends who knew no coding and who went to hackathons and had a blast. So mm. um, that's good I wouldn't. To know. Yeah. Just because you don't, know, just because somebody doesn't know how to code, shouldn't prevent them from going to hackathons. Because hackathons, honestly, are a really awesome experience, especially the first time. Yeah, and then one thing that I've heard kind of floating around is that in the future, a lot of machines will be able to use AI to code themselves. So it might not be worth investing in all your time and energy in like 2022 because you know if you get to 2050 and then they don't need you anymore. <laughs> What do you think about that kind of scenario? I think it's a very reasonable um, consideration to take. Right now, there's a trend towards having going to no code or um, low code solutions where, like you mentioned, basically machines will automatically generate code and you don't need, you wouldn't need a human uh, intermediary to write computer programs. Now, whether it's, is it worth it to invest into a computer science or software engineering degree? Um, I think it depends on a, f- on a few things. Um, I think first and, f- and foremost, this fear of having machines take over software engineering jobs <laughs> is, I mean, it's a likely scenario, but it hasn't happened yet. So if, so if you're generally, genuinely interested in computer science or coding, and you genuinely want to take a full-on course, university course in computer science, um, I would definitely encourage it. Um, another th- consideration to take into mind is that you would likely also need somebody to maintain these um, these machines or these computer programs that write computer programs. So, mm-hmm. And computer science degrees tend to also be math heavy. So you also understand the theoretical uh, underside of these, I guess, these future machines. So having, if you genuinely are interested in computer science um, and genuinely just love everything about it, I would I think taking a degree in computer science is all, is still a, a good choice. Um, another consideration to take into mind is that at for the at the current moment for the next I guess for a foreseeable future, being able to code on the side is really an invaluable asset. Like right now in mechanical engineering, um, we mostly work with I guess with um, machines and hardware and instruments, but just knowing how to code on the side to perform simple statistical analyses can really save a lot of time. So even learning code on the side can help. Um, so yeah, it's a really tough question. I don't have any clear answers on whether it's still worth it to pursue a CS degree. Uh, I guess my answer is really just um, doing, for at least for the foreseeable future, going into CS uh, or majoring in CS does not put you at a disadvantage. But really um, what's important is you really just find what you like and just don't be afraid to pursue it. Yeah, I think that sounds good. 
I don't, I don't think it's a good idea to be uh, discouraged by things that may or may not happen, right? Because there's a chance that it might not happen at all. So, and then mm-hmm. you didn't jump on something that you might have loved, right? Right. And I think if, if you have like, if you spend three or four years pursuing a computer science degree, I've, I'm pretty confident that the dedication you put in preparing for that degree can also be reused in preparing for another career. So just the fact that you're so dedicated towards a mm-hmm. CS degree means that you can easily transfer those skills with that same mindset in starting a new career. So I wouldn't be too, too worried. And what about the, the people that are more on the fence, right? Cause there's, like I asked in the previous question, there's people that know for sure they love it and they're thinking, should I pursue it? But then there's also people that say like, I'm not sure, like, I might want to, you know, kind of dip my feet in the water and see what I think. So what would you say to those people? I think, um, like, like, like you mentioned earlier, hackathons are a good way of trying to gauge them whether coding is something that you're interested in. Um, something else that could also be potentially of interest is working on a personal project. So there's a lot of really cool things you can do with code, whether it's um, working with, like, whether it's developing your own website or building a chat bot or even doing a bit of computer graphics. So if you were to maybe just spend a couple of weeks trying to dabble into code and if you enjoy it, you'll, I guess you'll know it as you write your computer programs. So just getting a bit of experience is a good, is, is a good stepping stone. Um, and afterwards you can consider whether it's worth it to pursue, I guess, a formal education in coding. You can either take the academic route, which is either majoring or minoring in computer science or software engineering. Um, you can also try um, attending what we call coding boot camps, which are usually 10-week to 20-week long intensive coding programs to give you a developer certificate. Okay. Um, you can also, also have, I've known people who've studied mathematics or applied math or mm-hmm. similar topics in university who ended up working in as in, ended up working up as software developers because the content is just so um, interchangeable. If that makes sense. How would it be though? Or is it because you you learn how to code in a math degree, or it's more just like the way of thinking is similar? I'd say like in one way, the way of thinking is definitely quite similar. Like a lot of um, computer science concepts, such as um, how I guess one of the most crazy things is realizing the computers are built on, you know, zeros and ones, basically what we call mm-hmm. binary digits. And this in itself is based on arithmetic and a bit of discrete math. So just a way of, I guess, understanding how computers work is an advantage you can, you can have. It's a transferable, it's a transferable skill you can have in math degrees. And also a lot of computer programs use math models like for instance, no weather forecasting or fancy things like drug discovery um, or, you know, like artificial neural networks or artificial intelligence. All these are derived from mathematical models. So studying math definitely gives you a transferable skill set to work on some pretty interesting computer science applications. Yeah, I did not know that before. That's interesting. Um, okay, so do you think that um, in the future or even now that coding or even computer science courses should be a mandatory part of high school or CGEP uh, curriculum? That's a really good question. I'm a little biased because <laughs> I like to consider myself self-taught, even though 
even though mm -hmm. I had exposure to certain coding, um, like extracurriculars, coding courses you know, early on, um, I don't want to comment on whether it should be mandatory or not, but I think coding should definitely be offered because there's just mm -hmm. so many people who, I guess, for many reasons, who wouldn't consider writing code. And that's just so much talent, so much creativity that we're missing out. So if you're able to really expose expose um, people from all sorts of backgrounds, particularly in disadvantaged um, communities with the ability to learn to code, I think it can definitely lead to a lot of creativity and a lot of impact in the in the years to come. Yeah, I think that makes sense because uh, a lot of people are, would probably be great at it, but it's just the fact that they've never had exposure to it and they get comfortable in other things. Like you go so deep, you know, just in CJEP, you do like Cal 2, maybe even Cal 3 and linear algebra and all this, or like, you know, physics, do EMM. So you, you might say, you know, I know so much in this field. Why would I dive into a completely new thing? Like learning a new programming language, I've never done that before. So I think if that wouldn't be the case, if they would say, you know, I've done this in the past and I like it, then I think more people would probably jump toward that. Absolutely. And um, I think another really cool thing to know is that coding is coding can take time, but it's not an impossible task. Like I have, I have friends right now who spent one year studying computer science um, and who are getting, you know, <laughs> who are getting internship offers at software companies uh, during the summer. So I guess my point is, um, if you were to replace that one year of university with, um, I guess, like self-learning courses on the side of work on personal projects, then it's entirely possible that, you know, within that very same time frame, that within a year of coding and of working on side projects, you can also potentially work as a paid software developer or as a contract mm -hmm. developer. So it's definitely... Um, like you said, people might be afraid to look into coding because they feel so too deeply invested in another field. Mm. But I think coding is really fun. It can really easily be um, be learned. And um, it's definitely possible to make a pretty big impact in terms of both career um, and personal projects really quickly, like in a matter of months or within a year, if mm. done the right way. Yeah, I would never think that, honestly. <laughs> in my head, like when I just look at programming languages, I think like, oh, you probably need to learn that for like 10 years or something to be able to, you know, even understand what that means. But I guess it's reassuring to know that's not the case. <laughs> yeah, there's like, I think there's a shift because traditionally, like in the past, um, I'm thinking more of like 70s and 80s, you'd have very low level languages. Like in the 70s, you had a language called C that was born. So basically C is um, is used a lot for I guess from microcomputers, which is like microwaves, um, ovens, your your dishwasher, um, like some robots, some spacecraft. Low-level stuff uses C as a language, and C is just incredibly uh, complex to master. Because you're dealing with like things like how to how do I store memory? How do I store these really you know weird values? But fifty years after Steve was born, uh, right now we have a lot of high-level high level tools, mm -hmm. like you know, notably Python and JavaScript, that don't require you to really understand the tiny um, details or tiny uh, you know, things that might bother you. So just the fact that we've gone from low languages like C to high-level languages like Python and JavaScript really allow 
allows basically allow anybody to write code really easily and really quickly as well. So now for more of a general question, would you say that things like science, AI, coding, all that will help solve our current issues like like climate change and uh, you know like overpopulation, all these kinds of massive issues that we're dealing with? Or do you think they'll make them even worse? Um, I think it's a really good question. It really depends on how science and artificial intelligence are used. I'll start with the downsides, <laughs> not to be <laughs> pessimistic, but there are some things to understand is that um, science and AI are, uh, you can kind of see them at like, like you can see them as like many humans. If you feed them good stuff, they'll do good stuff. If you expose them to not so good stuff, they'll do not so good stuff. And that's something that's quite crucial is that um, to understand is because recently researchers have been training certain, uh, what we call NLP, so natural language processing uh, models, you know, to try to understand, try to train computers to understand text. And they ask them to generate text. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that unintentionally, there are some, uh, we can say some racial, racially incorrect terms that were fed into the machine learning system. And naturally, the that machine learning system picked up these <laughs> racially incorrect terms and learned these terms and would output these terms. So there's a lot of biases, a lot of things we need to make sure that we're developing systems that we can actually understand. And we need to actually ensure that we're not feeding them garbage or just things that are not okay because these things, these systems are really dependent on how we train them and how we design them to be. So there's a lot of ethical, a lot of, um, you know, just moral issues. We need to ensure that we develop these right issues. Um, then whether, whether artificial intelligence and science can solve some of our greatest challenges, I think, um, absolutely. Um, one of the greatest challenges in medicine is trying to figure out how proteins fold. Like if you can mm -hmm. identify how proteins fold that can be a major breakthrough because basically you and me were basically made up of billions and billions of individual proteins who make up all our cells and all our fibers and you know all our body parts and if we can figure out you know what goes wrong for instance during cancer and use a computer to design a specific uh compound or a specific microstructure that can you know solve like that can kind of bind to the thing that makes cancer happen, um, that could be a major breakthrough. I'm thinking also in terms of in terms of solving climate change. There's just so many variables to take into account. Like climate systems are very very complex. You have a lot of um, moving parts. But if you use an artificial intelligence model to really absorb all of these different inputs, it can actually understand data on a much higher level than anybody, any individual human is capable of doing. So. Absolutely, I think if done in the correct way, in the, in the in a way that's ethically responsible, I think artificial intelligence and science can absolutely solve some of our greatest problems. Yeah, I, I agree. But I think one thing that a lot of people are not considering is I think it needs to be a lot more regulated than it currently is now by law, because I feel like it's it has so much potential for both good and bad. Right. And if you regulate it, it will kind of shift more to make sure that it's toward the good side. 
if that makes sense. Because right now it's kind of like leave it up to, to you, you know, whatever you feel like. Yeah, like, I mean, the first thing I think of is like a Terminator scenario where you have like, <laughs> like let's say the U.S. military developing some undesirable super intelligence. Um, yeah, I, I definitely agree with you, Tamir. Like, we definitely need to regulate. Um, there definitely needs to be some sort of regulation for artificial intelligence. To my knowledge, there's like certain guidelines that exist by certain groups. Like, I think OpenAI, which is uh, a company that Elon Musk co-founded to study um, artificial intelligence, laid out some principles to follow. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think there's any universal legal yeah. thing for artificial intelligence just yet, but I do agree. It would probably be good to have something sooner rather um, than yeah. later. So. <laughs> yeah. All right. So for the, the last question of the night, um, with your current background and experience, knowledge in the field, if someone said right now, what is the coolest thing you could do with your skills? What would you say that would be? Um, um, this is not something that I built myself. It's something that I know people at my school have done. So there's a student group called Neurotech. Um, they basically try to, use various sensors to read brain activity and they try to translate brain activity into actual thoughts. So right now the neurotech group um, and my guild are working on developing a computer program that allows you to type by just thinking of stuff. So if you think of, let's say typing a certain word, you'll be able to type the word without typing that. Wow. Yeah. And uh, Stephen Hawking probably had something similar, right? I, Actually, I'm not familiar with how exactly the engineers developed uh, Stephen Hawking's typewriter setting. Um, from what I heard, it was based on like the, the frequency at which he was blinking. Okay. Um, but if I can, I don't mean to be pretentious or anything, but I think, especially like in neurotech, we've we're at a really exciting um, point in time because right now, like, because right now, like, there's I guess there's two big trends like one trend is having these sensors just having um brain reading sensors having electrodes i can just kind of attach to um attach to your head they can read these various brain waves and then you can feed these brain waves into um openly available artificial intelligence models that um we can easily download on your computer and random so just the fact that you can buy these brain scanners even these simple electrodes and connect them to these computer programs that you write yourself allows anybody basically to kind of hack the brain and to um, try to understand what somebody is thinking about. Wow. I feel like that has a lot of room for things to go wrong also, though. (laughs) Just like the other things we talked about. Uh, Absolutely. Like, I actually don't know if this, if neurotech is regulated or if there are any regulations at all. Um, But it's definitely like, super super interesting like if you look at the brain itself it it's just you have something like 80 billion neurons just firing simultaneously and every neuron itself can correspond to like a certain idea a certain a certain thought so if you're able to really understand you know how these neurons work and measure activity i think you can do some understand the brain <laughs> to a pretty interesting degree yeah yeah that sounds really cool and uh 
Yeah, so thank you so much for being on the show tonight. Oh, it's it's a pleasure. Um I mean I'm I'll try not to not to uh bring some malevolent artificial intelligence <laughs> if ever I if ever make a return, but thanks so much to Miriam for the invitation. I'm super happy to be here and it was it was really a blast. Yeah, thank you again and uh hopefully uh I'll learn some uh <laughs> some coding for next time. <laughs> You can start the social network to find a party, take a few shots. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you.